This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Luke chapter 24 and I'll be reading from verse 36. This is in the NIV and the words will be up on the screen behind me as well if you don't have this. So Luke chapter 24 starting in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Sorry, secret, secret business between pastors. Good morning, Anchor Church. How are we? Great to see you all today. Special welcome to everyone who is joining us online. And uh, I think our feed is getting into the creche in the back there. So welcome to all the mums in the back room. And a special welcome to you if this is your first time with us. We love the fact that you are here, that you've chosen to celebrate Easter with us. Uh, It is so good. So thank you for joining us. I don't know if the Easter Bunny visited your house this morning but uh, the Easter Bunny visited our house and um, our kids woke up. We, we, we live in a, a tri-level townhouse, terrace house. And our kids woke up this morning with a, a bundle of wool attached to their bed running all the way down two levels of stairs to a basket on, on the ground floor full of Easter eggs, uh, which was really, really cute seeing them run down the stairs this morning. I'm like, don't run down the stairs, you'll trip and crack your head open. I don't want to go to hospital on Resurrection Sunday. Um, and I've got a sermon to preach. But um, yeah, we had a particularly cute Easter Bunny setting up our kids' uh, fun this morning. So hopefully you've had some chocolate. And if not, there is plenty in the courtyard this morning with us. Uh, I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 24 this morning. So if you have a Bible, keep it open there. I'm going to pray for us and uh, we're going to dive straight into the Word this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a God of new beginnings that you are a God who has defeated and conquered death. 
Father, we thank you that on the third day you rose Jesus again, that you have vindicated his life. We thank you that every promise that Jesus has ever made, every claim that he is that has ever rolled off his lips has been ultimately fulfilled as you raised him from the dead, appointed him the new king of the universe. And Father, this morning as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday together, we pray that you would lift our eyes beyond the craziness of this world that we live in right now and help us to see the peace, the security, the promises that stand because of the resurrection of our King Jesus. We pray that you would speak to us through your word now and stir our hearts to worship and joy and security. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, at the um, 2013 Festival of Dangerous Ideas, there was a panel on uh, Q&A, live on, on Q&A, and uh, there were a number of people who were on that. Um, and one of the people in the audience got up and asked a question to the panelists about what they thought was the most dangerous idea around. Uh, a number of people had their opinions. So the gay atheist Dan Savage uh, ridiculously suggested that they would mandate 30 years of abortions to control birth uh, population growth. And everyone, the whole audience kind of like, <gasps> he's like, well, you wanted a dangerous idea. There is one for you. Jermaine Greer, the um, Australian radical feminist, said that her dangerous idea was freedom. Freedom. And then journalist, Christian journalist, Peter Hitchens, whose brother was the late Christopher Hitchens, atheist, and who had recently and somewhat secretively converted to Christianity, he said this on live Australian television. He said this about the most dangerous idea. And I think the, screen, the, the quote is on the screen behind me. The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. And that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. Now, Tony Jones, the host, was kind of like baffled at this. He said, why? You can't just say that. Why do you think this is the most dangerous idea? He said, because it alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. And therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters, it alters us as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It is why so many people have turned against it. The resurrection the most dangerous idea that Jesus was the Son of God whom was raised again from the dead on the third day. And it is dangerous precisely because if it really happened, it truly does change everything. It alters everything. It alters every human on the face of the planet because it is so significant. It changes everything. In the resurrection, 
Jesus is established as the one true king of the world. In the resurrection, Jesus conquers humanity's greatest enemy in death. In the resurrection, it alters our frame of reference, not just only for God's people Israel, but for every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every ethnic background under the kingship of Jesus. The resurrection means that you simply cannot deny him, his claims, his life, the way that he lived, the things that he said. The resurrection alters absolutely everything. Philip Yancey, the Christian author, says this about the resurrection. He says, In many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. We can dismiss an unresurrected Jesus. We don't need to pay attention to his claims. But Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be on the loose out there somewhere. I love that. Yes, if Jesus rose again from the dead, he is well and truly alive today. And the promise of the New Testament is that he will never die again. Risen forever, truly the king of the universe. And here is the staggeringly bold claim of the Christian faith. And the hope that we have on Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus is alive. You know, there is an ancient Christian tradition in the Christian faith that on Resurrection Sunday, the service leader or the preacher would say, Jesus is risen, and the congregation would respond by saying, He is risen indeed. So can we do that together? Jesus is risen. Amen. That is our way of acknowledging that He truly is alive. Well, I want to draw out a couple of things from this passage that James read for us this morning from Luke chapter 24. And there are two things about this that, um, that provide us evidences or proofs of the believability of the resurrection. Two things that we can look at uh, through the lens of history and come to a position of realizing that the claims that the New Testament makes are staggeringly real and the, new, the resurrection of Jesus really did happen. The first is, there was an empty tomb. There was an empty tomb. There is an inconvenient truth in the first century of an empty tomb. Come with me back to Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. And it says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is a significant part of the story. We know that Roman soldiers had been placed in front of a sealed tomb. We know that the tomb was guarded. When these women show up, the tomb is empty. There is no Roman soldiers there. They have fled the scene. The other gospels tell us that they try and concoct a story to to say that the, the body had been stolen somehow. And here these women arrive at the tomb of Jesus to find that it is empty. As they enter the tomb, they encounter two angels who say to them, Why do you look for the, dead, for the living among the dead? Why are you here looking for Jesus? He's alive. This is a place where dead people are and you are looking for him in the wrong space. 
they immediately run and return to the 11 disciples who are gathered together in a room in fear and they tell them the story. And how do the disciples respond? This is nonsense. It's an idle tale. And yet Peter, and we know from John's gospel, John as well, they get up and they run to the tomb. And so in verse 12 of chapter 24, it says this, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by himself and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Both the women and Peter, and we know from John's gospel, John as well, witnessed with their own eyes an empty tomb. A tomb with no body in it. A tomb with burial cloths laying there. A tomb that had been vacated upon which three days prior had a dead corpse in it. Now this is really significant for us for a number of reasons. The first is we need to account for the extremely rapid rise of the Christian faith in the first century. And part of the preaching of the, the, the message of preaching that the apostles taught was about a risen Jesus. The central element of their message was that Jesus was alive. Now that's significant because the message that they preached wasn't in some backwater part of the Middle East. The message of the resurrection they preached from the very place where Jesus had been crucified, where crowds had seen him, where his tomb was. And if people wanted to verify the message that was being preached, they could simply go and visit the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Right? We, you know, today we hear our news on Twitter, right? It's like instant. It's happening in Ukraine. You jump on Twitter and you see it happening faster than any other news source. In the first century, there is no internet, there is no Twitter, there is no video recording. You could head to some backwater and tell a story and people have no way of verifying what happened. That's not how the message played out. The apostles stood up to preach of a risen Jesus in Jerusalem, in the city where the crucifixion and the so-called resurrection had occurred. And this was the seedbed from which Christianity exploded in the first century. We also know that the tomb of Jesus was never venerated as a holy place, as a shrine. Many of the people that died who were religious uh, personalities, their burial places were enshrined. People would go back and visit them and worship at them and celebrate at them. And yet in the first century, we have no recorded tomb of Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua by Yosef, the son of Joseph. There is no tomb that is venerated because he was raised again. The other interesting fact about this resurrection narrative is that women are the first eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. They are the ones who run and tell the apostles that the tomb is empty. Now for us in the, first, uh, in the 21st century, we just hear that and think so. But in the first century, a woman was unable to give credible witness in a court of law. So if you were going to fabricate a story of a risen Jesus, you would never choose women to be the first eyewitnesses of a story that you were hoping would be credible. And yet here, Jesus appoints, God appoints women as the first eyewitnesses to speak of the resurrection to the apostles. Here is evidence that we have as we read of a story that plays out because that's the way it played out 
of women as eyewitnesses of an empty tomb. In fact, not just any tomb, the tomb that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. He was part of the Jewish ruling council, one of the people who objected to the crucifixion of Jesus. He's in the ruling class. And if you were going to make up a story about a risen Messiah, you would never name Joseph's tomb because it would simply be an inconvenient thing to try and explain when someone who is apparently on the opposing team, you've said, no, no, it was buried in his tomb. There are a number of things about this story that point to the fact that Jesus simply was not there. The tomb was empty. On that first Easter Sunday, there is an inconvenient truth that we need to wrestle with. There was an empty tomb. The second thing that points to the fact that Jesus really was alive is found in verse 36 of Luke 24. Jesus appeared in multiple occasions, in multiple places. He appeared to people. And this is one of them. Luke 24 verse 36 says this. While they were still talking about this, that is the disciples gathered together, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still not, did not believe But because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. You're like, why? What is the thing about the fish? Like, But part of the story here is that Jesus is appearing. And this isn't the first and the only time that he appears to people after his death and, and resurrection. He appears to the disciples to give them the evidence that he is really alive. This is not some resuscitation where he is somehow revived in the cool of the tomb and walked out and convinced people with like life-threatening injuries that he is somehow risen from the dead. No, this is not some ghost or spirit. This is a real physical resurrection that has occurred. And Jesus proves that in two ways. He says to them, look, look at my hands and my feet. A ghost, a spirit does not have flesh and bones like I do. It's a real me, guys. I'm really here. And then he says to them, give me something to eat, which is a really interesting part of the story because you never see a ghost eating in a movie, do you? You just don't. And he's like, I'm really alive, guys. Just let me eat something. I'm hungry. Jesus appears. Now, we simply cannot account historically for these two truths, for an empty tomb and people who had said that they had seen Jesus alive, other than concluding that there must have been a resurrection on that first Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive. You know, there were a number of other pseudo-messiahs that had popped up in Hebrew history, in Jewish history. People who claimed that they were the chosen one, the one who would set Israel free. 
And Rome consistently crucified and murdered these so-called messiahs. And what happened to the followers? They were following these people, these messiahs, in the hope that they would restore Israel. Well, the movement faded and the followers went and found another messiah or gave up on their hopes. And yet this time, this time something different happened. On that first Resurrection Sunday, the birth of the church exploded. Resurrection was not a hope that the Hebrew people had for a moment that occurred in the middle of human history. It was something that they thought might happen at the very end of history. And here, Jesus vacates the tomb and walks the dusty roads of Jerusalem and appears to the disciples and eats a meal with them and convinces them that he truly was alive and he births the Christian movement that explodes in the first century. And we have no other way of accounting for that other than this really must have taken place. We see the resurrection not simply as a spiritual thing that happened. And there are spiritual implications of the resurrection to be sure, but this was a physical, real resurrection that occurred, a real resurrection in a real world, in an historical place and a time and an event that alters the course of human history. The resurrection is God's strong assertion that there is a new king that has been enthroned that it vindicates the claims that Jesus made, that it establishes him as God's undisputed king, and not just of Israel, but of every nation. And that this kingdom and his way of living, the subversive way of living that he gives us in the Sermon on the Mount is the way for humans to flourish. And what I find staggering about the resurrection is that it doesn't just promise us a better future. It actually promises us a better now. A better now, a better way for us to live. One of the things that Jesus says here, and it kind of blew me away as I read this. He, he, he appears to his disciples in verse 36 there. They're having a conversation about this rumor that they've heard that Jesus is alive. He appears to them and he says what? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Of all of the things that Jesus could have said in that moment, he turns up in a room, surprise, I'm here. You know, like I would have like boasted somehow. It's like, yeah, look at me. Can't hold me down. You know, so he, he turns up and he says, peace be with you, which is actually a very normal Hebrew greeting. Shalom. And it strikes me that in the moment of the disciples' confusion and hurt and pain and disorientation and discouragement and doubt, Jesus comes to bring peace. The resurrection of Jesus offers peace in a world of chaos, in a world of pain, in a world of doubt and confusion, in a world of hurt, in a world where there is war in a world where there are pandemics, in a world where there is suffering, in a world where there is relationship break apart, in a world where we're confused, in a world where there is doubt and deconstruction, Jesus comes with a message and he says to us, peace be with you. An offer of peace 
Isn't that encouraging? In the resurrection of Jesus, it makes a tangible difference, not only to our futures, but to our right now, that we can live as a people who no longer fear the future, who no longer fear a pandemic, who no longer fear suffering and pain, but we can be a people of true peace. Jesus restores the shalom that was promised to humanity in the garden that our sin and brokenness had stripped from our reality. And He comes and He says, I am restoring this. Peace be with you. But not only does the resurrection promise us a better now, it promises us a better future. See, the resurrection is a down payment on the world, the new world that God has promised would come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Jesus in His resurrected state is described as the first fruits. That's an agricultural image that comes to us when a farmer would sow seed and, or, or harvest a crop and pick the first fruits of that harvest and taste it and see that it was good and know that all of the other fruit would follow would be just like this. The promise of the resurrection is that we too, by faith in Jesus, will be raised again, just like Him. In the resurrection, we are promised that all of the sad things in this world will come untrue. What a beautiful phrase. It's from our kids' Bible, the Sally Lloyd-Jones Jesus Storybook Bible, that all of the sad things of this world will come untrue. That He is promised that He is making all things new, that we do not fear death because Jesus has promised that every person who has faith in His name will be raised again. And so death has no hold over us as it had no hold over Jesus. Death has lost its sting. Death has lost its victory because Jesus has risen again and promised for everyone who has faith in Him, this is your future. And it begins now. It begins now as we enter into the eternal life that He offers us. I wanna close by sharing a story of a, a friend of mine when I was a, a really a brand new Christian. A friend of mine, Kirsty, was diagnosed with leukemia and um, she would turn up to our small group with her, her tank. She would bring it in on a, on, a, on a little trolley and sit down and she would have her breathing apparatus on because in the, the final days of her life, she required constant oxygen to just be alive. She was uh, engaged due to be married and uh, very tragically lost uh, a, quite a brief battle with leukemia and passed away at age 21. And it was devastating. Our church community grieved. We'd been praying that she would be healed and we didn't really understand why God had said no. We were all hoping that we would be at her wedding and, and celebrate a wonderful occurrence for her and her fiance and her family. Her father was hoping to walk her down the aisle and he never got to do that. And all of the hopes and dreams that she had. It was a, a devastating moment for our church community. And we had her funeral at our church and I'd been tasked with the responsibility of filming it. And um, I remember her brother, Mike, got up 
to do the Bible reading and he read from 1 Corinthians 15. And he read that wonderful quote that Paul has there. And he read those words with such conviction in his voice. And it, it, I will never forget it. He stood up and he said, as his, his younger sister lay in a coffin in front of him, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death has been swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus. And I was floored. Who, who says that? But people who have a firm conviction in the promises of Jesus, that despite what we see with our eyes, we know with our eyes of faith that Jesus has promised that this is not the end of Kirsty's story. And my promise for every single one of you this morning who has faith in Jesus is that death is not the end of your story either. It is simply the beginning. Death does not have the final say in the story of God because the risen Jesus has conquered death, defeating it, promising us a new life by faith in the promises of Jesus. And friends, that is what we stand on today. That is what we celebrate today, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus has triumphed over death and that Jesus promises life everlasting for every person who has faith and trust in His finished work. Is that worth celebrating, church, on this Resurrection Sunday? Hallelujah. He is alive. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Can I invite you to stand, church, as we celebrate? as we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday, the hope and the promise that we have as God's people. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You. We thank You that this morning that we can celebrate. We can celebrate that Jesus has conquered death, that He is risen from the grave, that we have the firm assurance that we have a new King, a King who promises us that there is a kingdom that He has gone to prepare a room in His Father's house for us, for those who have faith in Jesus. I pray for every person here this morning, no matter where we are at on our journey of faith, that You would help us to see and believe and stand on the promise of Jesus, that we are saved, that we are safe, and that we have a home that is prepared for us. God, we thank You that we can celebrate the risen Jesus. We pray these things in His strong name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.